You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. In this episode, Rob Barrett, general manager of LATimes.com, Claude Brodesser, host of NPR's The Business and blogger at TMZ.com, Larry Gerbrandt, general manager of Nielsen Analytics, and Kevin Roderick, uh, blogger at uh, LAObserve.com, go on the record online. Getting free content on your, on your site. I mean, I see it. Stories I write. My lead. My joke. You know? You know, uh, is in some, you know, on iAfrica.com. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how this, you know, this totally unstaffed website run out of a building in Senegal has my story uh, without so much as paying a lick for it. And thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online. This is a an audio transcript of a panel uh, that was held at the final um, session of a course I teach at UCLA called An Introduction to New Media PR. Um, and we had uh, some of the most influential uh, L.A.-based uh, new media mavens on the panel uh, who you've just uh, heard introduce, introduced before the um, that initial clip that I played. Uh, the Introduction to New Media PR uh, is a new class that was just added uh, to UCLA Extension. And I was actually recruited to teach the class um, because they felt as though the Department of Public Relations and Journalism uh, needed to add that type of professional development opportunity to the curriculum. So I was uh, flattered to be invited to teach the course. And uh, at the final uh, session, course meeting, it was taught over, um, uh, over five evenings. At the final session, I put together this this panel, and uh, I thought you might like to hear it. Uh, it's 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 quite interesting. Um, we're going to play it for you in two installments because it runs about an hour and a half. So we are going to play the first half for you this week, uh, forty five minutes or thereabouts, and then the next half uh, of it next week. Um, and if you like the first half, uh, you you can download the second half. And of course, um, most of the questions and, and items that topics that were discussed are, are not connected. So even if you don't listen to the first, you'd probably still get something out of the second. Um, my name is Eric Schwartzman, for those of you who, who don't know me or might be listening for your first time. And I, uh, in addition to teaching the course on new media PR at UCLA, um, have also developed a, a new media uh, boot camp, new media PR uh, boot camp, uh, that I've been teaching uh, for a number of different organizations. Um, I recently was invited by the government of Singapore to uh, teach a, a one-day boot camp on new media PR uh, for their non-governmental organizations. Uh, that was taught in February. Um, I will be teaching a similar uh, boot camp for the Public Relations Society of America in New York later in the year. And uh, I'm also involved with the um, Advanced PR Technology Conference uh, held by Bulldog Reporter. Uh, I chair that conference. It's held twice annually. And also uh, am the uh, conference chair for the Community Intelligence uh, PR, Online PR Convergence um, uh, Conference, which is going to be held 
um, in May in Los Angeles. So that's uh, you can get information on all of these on the website www.schwartzmanpr.com. I am also the chairman and founder of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, which helps organizations extend the reach of their PR and marketing campaigns uh, using the latest new media tools and services, uh, all integrated into one powerful online dashboard. And to see what iPressroom can do and how it works, you can go to www.ipressroom.com forward slash visible. Uh, I am also Managing Director of Schwartzman & Associates, a Los Angeles-based public relations agency. We specialize in entertainment, media, and technology. Um, if you're interested in this episode, you may be interested in subscribing to the podcast. Um, you can do that at www.spinfluencer.com. Uh, and if you have questions, comments, or feedback, please send them to me, eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, we are going to play for you this uh, audio transcript uh, from the uh, Introduction to New Media PR taught through UCLA Extension uh, it comes to you entirely unedited, and we hope you enjoy it after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Uh, many of the students obviously are looking around. You see some fresh faces. There's a number of people who have joined us tonight. It's an open door policy for our new media master's panel. For those of you who are, who are just joining us uh, for the first time, this is the last session of a course uh, that I've been teaching here called an introduction to new media PR. It's the first time that a course like this has ever been taught at UCLA Extension. And it's being taught through the programs in journalism and public relations which I think is, is fitting. And uh, here to, to uh, I guess, culminate our, our, final, our final class, um, I'm really pleased to have been able to assemble what I consider to be an absolute all-star panel for, of, of LA media um, uh, experts, masters. Um, so I'd like to introduce everybody. Um, I'm not going to give a long biography. Um, I did tell everybody about you uh, uh, last class as well. Um, but on my right, we have uh, Larry Gerbrandt. Larry Gerbrandt uh, was uh, one of the C-level execs at Kagan for many years. Kagan Media is a media research firm, very well respected. And now he's the general manager at Nielsen Analytics. And that's, of course, that's a division of Nielsen uh, uh, Media Research. Uh, next to him, we have uh, Claude Brodesser, Ackner, who used to be a reporter at Variety. Uh, before uh, he started doing a show at, uh, on NPR, KCRW specifically, called The Business about Inside Hollywood. And uh, I actually listened to the podcast. That's how I found the show. Um, and I enjoy it very much. And you also blog at TMZ.com. Um, and uh, next to him, we have Kevin Roderick of LAobserve.com. You've written for pretty much every major daily uh, in the country and also uh, are the editor of LAobserve.com, which... I mean, in terms of my circle, I consider that, people I know, we consider it to be really a must-read about L.A. media business. And then, um, forgive me. I don't know your face, but I know your title. Uh, Rob Barrett of LATimes.com. This is the person who is guiding uh, the Tribune's L.A. Times 
migration to the web. Um, and I've had an opportunity to interview Rob and Larry for On the Record Online before. And uh, they're actually two of the most downloaded shows. So I what I'd like to do. I want to know where my residuals are then. <laughs> OK, so what I'd like to do is go across the panel with, uh, with the first question. You just went right past. Uh, and I'd like you all to answer this. We'll start with you, Larry. Uh, how has new media, and new media, I define new media as websites, blogs, podcasts, and social networking platforms. How has new media changed how you do your job? Mm. Uh, it's uh, made it easier and easier to do the job, harder to make money at it. Um, in, in terms of gathering information, <clears throat> whereas uh, I used to actually have to wait for the press release to land in the, the mail slot and then accumulate them and then extract the information. Now they arrive within instance or I, you know, I, can, I can get a flood of information very efficiently. The problem is so can everybody else. And that's where it, it's made it harder to make money, even applying higher analytics or higher intelligence at it, because uh, so many more people have access to it uh, in a very efficient fashion. It's, it's changed my job. Um, you know, I'll put my snout into this thing here. Um, it, it's changed my job a little bit and a lot. And here's what I mean by that. Um, on the little bit side, I pretty much do what I've always done, which is go find out what's happening and then uh, tell all of you, uh, generally by you know, lubricating uh, people who should not tell me what they're telling me and promising them anonymity. Um, as a side note, I'd like to sort of remark that I'm always astonished at how ill-paid and ill-treated so many people with so much damaging information are, and that with really just a few single malt scotches, um, they will tell you almost anything you want to know. So um, making the case for high-functioning alcoholism. Uh, how it's changed my job a lot is that we are no longer in a 24-hour news cycle. We're sort of in something shorter than that, and I don't know quite exactly what it is. but. You know, the irony of the 24-hour news cycle is, as anybody who's been on this panel will tell you, or anybody who's dealt with the media, is that if you do CNN or if you do the Today Show, that's all the time we have. I'm sorry, we got to leave it there. It's a 24-hour news channel. you got nothing but time, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're out of time. we we got all the time in the world. Uh, websites, same thing. Uh, it's become an incredible cycle, uh, and it's it's become one where... Uh, it's changed the threshold for what is news. You know, we're, we're, we're reporting on shades of a story rather than uh, the actual color of the story sometimes. Uh, and we can talk more about that later, but I, I'd say that's the, the general uh, way that things have changed as a, as a result of the web. Hello, I guess for me the biggest change is that I, I worked at the Los Angeles Times as a reporter, as a line editor, and a senior editor for about 25 years, and I was never invited to a panel like this. Um, but since I became a, quote, blogger a couple of years ago, I've been invited to several panels like this. And um, it's always, 
although not many of them are as well attended as this one. So it's interesting to me to see the, the arc of interest continuing to rise. Um, for me, the, the, the spreading of new media made what I do uh, possible. Right now, I'm, I, uh, I was a freelance writer three or four years ago after my magazine that I opened the Los Angeles Bureau of the Industry Standard folded uh, after uh, having been a year earlier the, the hottest weekly magazine in the country. They weren't very good at business and they folded. And of course, they covered business, so there was a certain irony there, I think. Um, <laughs> Uh, but they spent money like crazy, and that was good while it lasted. Uh, but there I was, a freelance writer, um, working at home instead of in a, in a crowded newsroom, and suddenly someone told me about the software that I could use to start a blog. And that's what happened. There was no business plan behind what I started to do. There's really no business plan behind it now, um, although I'm trying to get one together. but. Uh, I haven't effectively done that yet, but there was there was really no grand image. Use uh, Eric spoke earlier about having a goal for what you do uh, in the new media. Well, I didn't really anything other, no, nothing more complicated than trying to stay in touch with my colleagues and have something to read in the morning that told me what was going on in the local media, and that didn't exist. So I decided to go out and start it, and we can talk more about that later. Well, I think. Uh, it hasn't changed my job so much as it's it's been my job for the last 14 years or so in uh, new media. Uh, my job has really largely been changing other people's jobs. I was uh, I was working at Time Magazine in, in 1994, and my uh, my first uh, day on the job was the O.J. Simpson chase. So we ran we had a deal with AOL around the news forums, and uh, um, a lot of. Uh, I sort of then was functioned as a shadow chief of correspondence. I'm someone who came from the uh, editorial side over to the business side uh, because in new media uh, you were almost redefining the news hole and it's good to have decision-making power on the, uh, on the business side to, to build new things. Um, in the case of somewhere like Time, uh, we had uh, great reports from correspondents all over the world uh, coming into the system on an hourly basis and it would all get munged into a you know gray goo on Friday night by 25 editors and, and put out on Monday morning. And what we started doing was breaking news on AOL and, uh, and then on the web. And uh, the way I got the correspondents to, to, to give up the goods was to get them uh, uh, credited by breaking it in the New York Times on a Tuesday. And they understood that in, in, in their own terms. Um, but and I'm, at the LA Times, I'm in a situation now which is that writ large. Um, and my path has been going from time to ABC News. I've been to local papers and uh, uh, done internet startups, and I'm now here. And uh, Kevin has uh, achieved a lot uh, without a formal business plan, which says a lot about the web. But you can gain audience, and you may be as good as you were last week. But there's a real uh, you can really go far that way at an institution like the LA Times. Uh, you're not just starting from zero, you're actually starting in some cases in the negative. You've got all these assets and supposedly all this money, but you're dealing with culture change at every step of the way. So the lesson there has been not, you can't just redesign the uh, homepage of, LA, of latimes.com and make it work. You have to restructure how the newspaper works. Um, and we may get into examples of, of how that's happening later on. Let's, let's do, uh, before I, uh, I have particular questions that I do want to direct to uh, specific panelists, but before I do, I'd like to go across the panel one more time, and let's go the other way now so that you get first crack at this one, Rob. 
Um, what are your news sources? What do you see as influential? How do you get your news? Um, it, it's funny to answer that as sort of, I'm not technically a, a journalist now, um, but the, uh, you know, obviously part of where LA Times gets his news is via the traditional sources that reporters, General Simon and Beat get. But what we um, are increasingly doing and will do much more dramatically on the web is to broaden the concept of, of what a reporting staff is. And uh, this has been uh, done in many ways and, uh, and is, is happening at newspapers across the country. Um, there's a, you know, the, the, the buzzword for the, um, what's not really a new phenomenon anymore, user-generated content is tapping into um, uh, the broader audience. But there's a lot of thinking inside newspapers that only someone who has been a trained journalist is, is fit to judge something that's, uh, that's, that, that's worth knowing, and that's a little bit of a glib assessment, and it's certainly not true across the board on the staff. Um, but if you ask people where they themselves get information, many will tell you LA observed. Um, you have the ability on the web to cater to um, niche and sometimes very large niche audiences in a much deeper way, and it's very hard for a large institution to do that. Um, but where, I'll, I can give you an example of where we're going. There's a, a site called Calendar Live that was built about eight years ago that's really not very competitive right now. It's like a city search kind of site. Um, this summer we're re relaunching it from the ground up as something that uses many, many kinds of input. Um, input from professional journalists, from much broader networks of freelancers, from experts all around the Southern California market on certain things, and from regular people who come to the site. And I think what we can do that sites like Craigslist and other fully grassroots sites um, don't tend to do and probably don't need to do is blend expertise with various gradations of content contributed by um, people out there on, on the planet Earth. So uh, we can offer stipends for people who are professionals in their area but may not be trained journalists. Um, I live next to what some people think is the second best wine shop in LA, but you only know that if you know local people who talk about it or if you know people who know about wine. And uh, this is the kind of thing that really hasn't taken root in sites like City Search that are national. Um, we're launching a uh, soft launching a travel site this weekend for the LA Times uh, that uh, has some features of TripAdvisor where people recommend things. But we're really focusing on inviting people in the Southern California market to share their particular expertise and not just hoping that people who are informed come by. And we're also reaching out to more journalists than just working the building. Kevin, what about you? Where do you get your news? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I, in, in some respects, the, you know, the news sources that I rely on as a, as a blogging journalist are not, in one respect, that different from what I use when I'm writing for Los Angeles Magazine or when I was reporting for The Times. You know, then you're relying on, on people who are involved in politics or media, which happen to be what I write about the most, uh, who are experts or who are you know, active participants or the aides of participants and, and know something that they're able to share with me. But in addition to that, I think what really um, um, distinguishes this era from previous eras in journalism is the explosion of non-traditional sources that, that Rob talked about that I'm able to tap as well. Um, I, have a on my web front page of my website. I probably link to two or three hundred blogs and websites that didn't exist three or four years ago, 
and I rely on them for information that I'm able to you know, link to stories or items that they post and send my readers over there, perhaps with a little comment, perhaps not. And I'm also hearing from the readers of my website in a much more direct way than I ever did when I was writing for the newspaper. So I think of all of those as news sources today. We, we uh, when I say we, I mean both TMZ and KCRW, the show, um, we use sort of different sources. Um, I can only speak for sort of my blog at TMZ, which is a industry-driven, news-driven kind of blog. And traditionally, it's been the usual suspects, uh, people involved in deal-making, whether that be uh, executives, who of course always deny that they speak to the press, agents, who of course never talk to the press, uh, attorneys, uh, who I can't possibly tell you this, um, uh, they don't talk to the press either. So it's, it's a combination of, of deal makers and then sometimes just weird places. I mean, the, the biggest, one of the biggest stories I broke over the years when I was at Variety was the fact that uh, Sony Pictures was, uh, they had just been caught uh, creating a critic uh, named David Manning, who of course doesn't exist. And uh, on top of that, I got a tip that they were um, using their own people for advertising, you know, sort of. Wasn't it a great movie? Oh yeah, it was fabulous. It was just amazing. It was, you know, it turns out it was a guy from accounting down the hall and someone else. Um, and I got that tip from somebody who was just a, a dis disaffected Sony employee who was now, uh, I think he was running a dog walking business or something. But anyway, um, the short answer to the question is lots of different places. Um, and, I, and I think I'm a big believer in, well, this is a broader discussion we can explore later, but I think that in the end, people um, get the news that they pay for. And I think the irony of this sort of new media explosion is that if you look at aggregators like Yahoo News or Google News or any of these various uh, mulcher machines, uh, there's really only a few stories being broken and then repeated endlessly by, I don't know, playfuls.com? What the hell is playfuls? It's not even a word, playfuls. But it, you see it at the top of the Google dog pile, so to speak. Um, it's out of South Korea or something. It's something you know doesn't translate exactly. Um, and and I, I'm a big believer that you know original source reporting um, will get you to the top of the heap every time. I mean, it's just a, a good story break. You know, it levels the playing field between me and Time Inc. Every time, and it's just relationships with. Uh, with talent agents and with producers and with attorneys and executives. And that and a microphone, in this case the web or, or you know, radio show, can see there every time. Larry, besides the Wall Street Journal, where do you go for news? <coughs> well, I just realized I'm a, a bit of an odd duck up here in that I'm not a journalist, at least not at this stage in my career. I've done things that are, in the past that were very journalistic, like writing newsletters. <coughs> but. Um, what I am is a media analyst, which is uh, one half of me is uh, I do consumer primary research. I'm also somewhat of a media economist. So I try to understand the economics of media consumption. So to, and with a big focus on understanding the intersection between old and new media. Therefore, I have some fairly specialized needs in terms of information. Uh, and I don't have a lot of time to spend keeping up. So I look for very efficient ways of doing that. 
Um, it's, it's disturbing how easy it is to do. It's also disturbing to understand how it's changing the economic models out there. Uh, I used to, to, to get all the information I really wanted, I would have had to have clipped a couple dozen trade publications, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, Cable World, Multi-Channel News, Broadcasting Cable. I could, I could go on, I could literally name two dozen different sources of information that I would have wanted to review on a regular basis to uh, a source of media intelligence on the areas that I was particularly interested in. Today, all I have to do is open the email that arrives every morning called Smart Brief, which, uh, and there are various sources and flavors of Smart Brief for different industries, but they actually go through and clip the most important headlines from those two or three dozen publications and feed the most vital pieces of information. Basically, it's an abstract. It's a summary of all the news that's important to a particular industry sector. Um, that's very good and very efficient. I don't have to go very far. The disturbing thing, and this is, comes from someone who actually was a founder of, a, a, a part founder of a, mag, a trade publication, is that I also no longer am exposed to any of the advertising that ultimately supports that economic model. I just need to read the headlines and I can click on the website, I can avoid all the stuff that actually generates revenue, extract the information and go on. So, as I said earlier, the new technology has made my job easier, but it's also threatened a lot of the underlying economic models. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. And Claude, you mentioned Google. Um, Google, I mean, as an organization that creates almost no original content itself, but boasts $140 billion in a market value, uh, are traditional media outlets wondering how much of that is coming out of their pockets? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are places that, uh, that certainly do a very good job of, of safeguarding their content. I think the Wall Street Journal is probably one of the best. They, they break a lot of news. They have the ability to move markets, so I think they get leaked a lot of news as well, not to in any way denigrate the reporting staff there because they're some of the best um, breathing. But um, you don't just you know wander into the New York uh, into the uh, the Wall Street Journal the way you do the New York Times or uh, any other uh, website and just you know with the, so much as giving them a, an email address and everything is yours. It's well, hold on. I think we're going to need to cross my palms with silver first, and um, and I'm all for that. I think uh, that that's probably very wise and and. You know, they've that sort of, you know, they've, they've drunk the Kool-Aid on that model, and I think that they're wise to do so. I don't think they're going to wind up, you know, like in Guyana. But uh, by contrast, you look at something like Google. I mean, even let's take today's headlines, for instance, right? So uh, Google has been getting, it's been February, but not a lot of Valentines, right? So two weeks ago, um, Viacom basically writes a, a nasty letter that says, um, get your stuff, get our get our stuff off your site, basically, in, in, in color, more colorful language than that, I'm told. And uh, a week later, NBC does the same thing, basically tells Google's YouTube, get our stuff off your site now. Um, and then today, so today we get a headline that Viacom has reached a deal um, with, um, with a company called Juiced, uh, spelled J-O-O-S-T, 
uh, which is this supposedly new competitor to YouTube. The difference is you can't upload stuff onto it. Uh, but they're going to share the revenue, and they're going to make uh, some money for having SpongeBob or uh, you know whatever the show is from Nickelodeon or My Super Sweet 16 up there. Um, I, I think that Google is is thinking very hard about what it paid uh, for YouTube in the next few months. It'll be interesting. I have no idea. I don't pretend to have any knowledge about it, but uh, I would think uh, it, it's probably time to explore. Certainly. This is the kind of stuff that pays for lawyers' third vacation homes. Um, you know, getting <laughs> getting free content on your on your site. I mean, I see it. Stories I write. My lead. My joke. You know, you know, uh, is in some you know, on iAfrica.com. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how this you know this totally unstaffed website run out of a building in Senegal has my story uh, without so much as paying a lick for it and. Um, you know, they, what, from what I'm paid is kind of a pittance compared to uh, what it costs to produce an hour of network television, which is usually about a million to two million a year. My salary is barely half that. <laughs> um, yeah, that should provoke hilarity. Anyway, I'll shut up. <laughs> uh, I'd like to inter introduce a new question. Larry, I'd like to direct this to you. Um, uh, according to a recent report in the Wall Street Journal, Google sold advertising that encouraged pirating of Hollywood movies to a couple of rogue websites. Is there a popular consensus in the mainstream media uh, of whether or not Google is friend or foe? Mm. I think um, I, I think Google is more feared than respected. First of all, every media company would like to have its valuation, or at least valuation multiple. So in that respect, it's certainly respected. Um, more importantly, the executives would like to have Google stock options uh, or a senior management position there. The, um, I, the major media companies are used to being the 800-pound gorillas, and they also invest enormous amounts of capital creating original content. And I got to tell you, the economic model of things like making movies is really crappy. I mean, you know, you hear about a lot of people making a lot of money on movies. If you actually own a movie studio. Um, yeah, you you try really hard to make 10% cash flow margins on your entertainment divisions. That's because there's a lot of straws dipped into that particular soda. Uh, so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there isn't a lot uh, left over for shareholders. So, anytime you have a company like a Google, and of course now it's uh, I think it's being called GooTube is that, uh, and they are creating market value off your content and not sharing part of the revenue stream. Um, there are a lot of unhappy people in the chain and it actually flows all the way back to the people like Hollywood Gills, who, you know, the, uh, the sound man on, the, well, sound man's probably the wrong one, but uh, the, the, the the editor, the, the cameraman, um, the director who worked on the TV show that got a clip on YouTube 
wants to know, where's my peace? And of course, you know, there is no peace being shared upstream. So um, I think at the end of the day, while they may respect its value, uh, everybody wants to know um, where's the money. Kevin, in the future of the daily newsprint industry, uh, in a world where people hunger for news at internet speed, uh, what is the future of, of the print publishing business? Well, I mean, I think there's, uh, I, I think there's still going to be a two-pronged future for print, you know, newspaper-type operations. One is a print product. I think there will always be a print product because it will connect uh, um, the organization with readers that continue to want it that way. There will always be advertisers that want to expose themselves through through print. And I'm not sure what the demographics of the print readership will be down the road compared to what they are today. But clearly, any news organization that's going to survive in print is going to also have a very strong and very creative web presence. And this is something that I've been I've been following at LA Observe the struggles of the Los Angeles Times that, that Rob has been leading as they make this transition to being much more of a web-driven organization than they have been before. So, uh, you know, I don't know that I have, well, I don't have a lot of research to back it up, but my gut tells me that there will be, that these, these media companies will figure out what they need to do on the web and they will keep a strong print product for at least the, the indefinite future. Uh, Rob, a question for you. Uh, recently, a Belgian court ruled that Google News has been violating copyright laws by providing links to French-language newspapers. Uh, by doing what some might call siphoning off online viewers who might otherwise go to the publisher's website for that news and information coming from that source, is Google News in breach of copyright law? Um, well, the way it's worked out so, so far, uh, uh, if you uh, take RSS feeds and link to headlines and drive people to the original source, you're not in breach. And if you um, take more than X words of content, you are in breach. And it's still a gray area, but that's the general principle that's been upheld. Um, the, there, has been, there have been similar cases, actually, with, um, with, in, with advertising companies. Uh, that usually, they're, they're called adware, kind of lumped in with spyware. And uh, this happened, I think, with a number of large publishers, including Washington Post, New York Times, when you would go to the WashingtonPost.com, a banner ad would pop up, and uh, it would actually be served by a completely different company, and they got none of the money. And that came down against, you know, for the publishers, against those adware companies. And in the same vein, uh, yeah, no major uh, uh, internet company has gotten away that I know of with a free ride off of news content. Yahoo News used to have a deal with Tribune and other major news providers to actually have uh, the stories on Yahoo News. And if you look now on Yahoo News, you'll see far fewer stories, uh, the text of far fewer written stories on Yahoo News, and you'll see headlines linking out to LATimes.com, WashingtonPost.com, etc. And it's really been quite difficult for them. Uh, they made their money by having the display ads next to the stories. So um, that model is actually uh, somewhat challenged, and the newspaper industry is trying to, to uh, unite and uh, provide alternatives to people. That's also very difficult. Um, but in the end, uh, these things are always going to be, um, newspapers have had to get very vigorous in enforcing 
uh, uh, copyright against you know the site in Africa and all that. Their their lawyers are very busy doing that because you've got to protect copyright and trademark. Um, but I don't really. It has. It doesn't look like that. Doesn't particularly seem to be a losing battle. Google News is providing a service that indexes things. Blogs do the same thing with uh, usually more uh, information or entertainment value. And there will always be people making money um, by directing people to a reordered version of the news. And in fact, there are mashups now. I think one of the big Yahoo initiatives uh, is letting people simply drag, uh, you know, do what software companies have done and create their own mashups of major news sites. Uh, uh, a couple of people at the Washington Post have done that internally at the Washington Post. I think major news organizations just have to accept that people can make new doorways into what they have any way they want, and they always will. Um, but ultimately, if they're coming to your own site to, to actually read the story or see the video clip, then you do have a route to make money. How, how many people here have a TiVo or a digital video recorder? Raise your hand if you have one. And how many of you uh, watch ads on those? Okay, a few. Um, I asked because last week um, the New York Times ran an, an A1 story uh, which said, um, and I'm, I'm quoting here, people with digital video recorders like TiVo watch commercials, right? Add that to the list of urban and suburban myths. It turns out a lot of people with digital video recorders are not fast-forwarding and time-shifting as much as advertisers feared. According to new data released yesterday by the Nielsen Company, people who own digital video recorders or DVRs still watch, on average, two-thirds of the ads. I don't know who they are, um, but Larry, do you believe this? Are you surprised? Uh, yes and no. Based on mother-in-law research, or, or actually, if I... Uh, I go to a breakfast almost every Saturday morning where there are 60 early adopters like me. And if you ask that question, virtually all the hands go up and say, we don't, nobody watches commercials. Um, the fact is, as the DVR has gone beyond the really early adopters into mainstream, um, the people who use them uh, are lazier, for lack of a better Term. They, they're, they're using the technology to time shift the show, not necessarily to be more efficient in their viewing. At the same time, not everybody wants to sit there with a remote control and you know, carefully zip past the commercials. And in fact, a lot of the new DVR systems, for a number of reasons, make it more difficult to fast forward through commercials. I had one. I was a beta tester for for the one of the original DVRs. In fact, it was the original DVR called Replay TV, and it was famous because it had a 30-second skip button built into it. <clears throat> because of lawsuits and a lot of other reasons, most of the other DVRs today don't have a 30-second skip button. You have to go through a couple of permutations to to to. to do something close to that, and if you overrun, you got to back up, and it, so it's not as easy to skip commercials. So um, people are using. Uh, uh, at the same time, what we don't know is if they're in the room while the commercials are running. They may still be doing the same things that they've often done before, which is while the commercials running, go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen for. Uh, uh, for a snack. So the commercial may be on the screen, but fewer people, nobody may be watching. So 
you have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, at the bottom line is the uh, the networks want the advertisers to pay money for the time delayed ads, and the advertisers don't want to pay for anything but the live viewing. So the research is trying to bridge the gap between those two camps. Um, I would just take exception to the idea that DVR owners are lazy because here's what I here's well, what they're I becoming lazier as anytime I, you get it. I don't even like the word lazy, but, okay. but here's why. Um, the social compact that we have agreed upon for a long time was I sit in the Barca lounger. <laughs> Again, I resent the lazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a well-deserved rest. <laughs> Taking a well-deserved rest, and you sell me some beer or some diapers or a Buick or whatever it is you're selling, and I get to be entertained in exchange for that. That's the social compact. Now, here's what I'll say. I own a DVR, or actually I lease one, and I'm being bleated for whatever it is, five bucks a, a month, another black hole from which I'll never get out, but um, thank you, Comcast. Um, but I, I will say this. My wife and I, in fact, as I'm contractually obligated to say, my hot wife, um, <laughs> I just got married in last March. Um, we, we have a deal, which is that when we're watching TV, uh, if, if there's a, a, an iPod or an Apple commercial, uh, we don't blast through it. If I see John Hodgman, I go, hey, hey, well, well this is going to be funny. I want to see this. And I think that if anyone's gotten lazy, it's Madison Avenue suckling at the teeth of our wallet, uh, hosing down some pavement and saying, big savings on Camry. <laughs> you know, um, since, since when does that qualify as, as an entertaining and persuasive ad, you know, that, that, that allows me to part with my cash? You know, if anything, I think Madison Avenue has been, been coddled for the longest time. And, uh, and is finally getting a good punch in the face, which it richly deserves. Um, I think it's time that advertising got as smart as television. And, oh, it's so sad, you know, we're, we're blasting through your irrelevant ad. Well, you know, get smarter. I'm not in the market for pantyhose. Get that through your head, you know? And I think that's what TiVo is working feverishly to figure out is, you know, if I am watching Grey's Anatomy, there's a stronger possibility no offense, guys, if you're a fan, uh, that you're going to be interested in the new Tampax Pearl, then, it, you know, not. And, and vice versa, if you're watching SportsCenter, no offense, ladies, to those of you who watch SportsCenter, but there's a strong possibility that you're going to be more interested in the Ford F-150 Super Extra Cab uh, and the Wendy's Triple Coronary Bypass Burger uh, than, than not. So I think, you know, DVRs are, are, are changing things. And I think, you know, I, I, don't, I think it's time we stop blaming people who don't want to watch boring crap um, for, for blasting through it. Uh, simple as that. But you mentioned that you're a fan of Apple, right? Yeah, big fan. So let's, let's move on to that. I want, Kevin, I, I got a question for you. Apple receives a great deal of praise for iTunes and the iPod, uh, yet the company is highly secretive. Uh, they restrict employees from blogging. Uh, they embrace a business strategy that is anything but open source. Uh, they've essentially locked other hardware manufacturers off the iTunes platform, uh, a move no less anti-competitive than Microsoft's attempt to attach its browser to its operating system. Uh, yet the company's CEO, Steve Jobs, manages to maintain a reputation as a good guy, uh, even while he's backdating options at the expense of his investors. 
so my question is, how is it Steve Jobs escapes the criticism uh, in an industry where others, and I'm thinking of Bill Gates, who is now the single largest philanthropist, are viewed uh, more objectively uh, by the media and the industry? Well, I think Steve Jobs benefits from, well, one, he's got really good product that people want to have. Uh, he's also, he's got the cool factor attached to him and his company, and that's helped them all the way along. Um, you know, and I think, you know, his media image is partly also because people like the way he looks. By the way, I want to add that my wife is hot, and I don't have to have a contract to uh, get me to say that. So. I, I was using the air quotes around oh, okay. content. <laughs> um, you know, I think it, with Steve Jobs it, and Apple, it does come back to the product. People, uh, people love what they put out. I was at an Apple store during the Christmas season and really was shocked at how efficient they were uh, able to turning over $200 at a clip. You know, I think every three milliseconds there was another $200 just in the line I was in. So they did a really, they do a really good job with that. And I think, you know, it's funny, this what's starting to come out in the past week or so about Jobs and his and his options. You know, I actually sort of detected the beginning of a turn in his public image, and I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes. Also, the iPod's being made in hell by little children. Yes, there is that, but, uh, but that works for a while, you know. Do any of our panelists want to respond to that as well? Yes, my wife is, is extremely hot. <laughs> So, so, much, so much so that on the way over here, she accompanied me tonight, we had an argument about how hot the, I had the heater on in the car. True story. Okay. I mean, um, I, I, I would just point out that on the iPhone, you know, Apple hasn't released this thing yet. It's, it's out in, in June, and we have no idea if it's going to have you know, the tensile strength of a Tic Tac or if it's going to you know, shatter into a thousand pieces when it's made. They've had a billion dollar increase in their market cap just from the buzz on this thing alone. And I think that sort of tells you uh, everything you need to know about how well they're regarded in terms of a product development standpoint. I think that's why jobs can walk on water. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.